Our reading this morning is from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 17, through chapter 4, verse 1. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The word of the Lord. I invite you please to join with me in prayer. Father, uh, Again, uh, as we do every week, having heard your word, uh, we, we don't want to move forward without speaking to you about it, uh, to remember the reality that this is not just um, things that were written 2,000 years ago, but this is actually the means by which you speak, you, the creator of the universe, speak to us. And so we ask, Father, again, that knowing your spirit is within us, knowing that we are in Christ that you would help us, that you would enable us to hear what you have to say so that we would grow, so that we would change, so that more and more we would be the people you have created us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christianity is not a religion. It is not, if we think of religion as it is commonly said, of the idea of us through our rituals, through our behaviors, working our way up to God. We have said a few weeks ago and in the last few weeks that Christianity in some ways is the anti-religion because it says it is utterly impossible for us to work upwards. That what Christianity says, the gospel, is that God comes down to us and that we have everything in Christ as he brings us to himself through Christ Jesus. That's, that's what we have seen the last few weeks. Christianity is different from religion, it's the anti-religion. But there's something else that Christianity also is not, and that is spirituality. Christianity is not spirituality. Um, it's, it's common, I think, um, in our day for people to kind of move away from organized religion, oftentimes because there's a sense that there's a lot of hypocrisy within organized religion and not unfairly, that assumption. And so it's not uncommon for people to say something like, I'm not a religious person, I'm a spiritual person. Perhaps you've heard that too. Maybe you've said that. And as I understand it, spirituality, um, you know, depending on whoever says it, it can mean a whole bunch of different things, but there's usually one or two things that are in common. And that is if someone says they are spiritual, they're talking about something that's private. Spirituality is a personal thing where it's, it's meant to kind of give encouragement, inspiration, comfort, 
to strengthen us inwardly, but it's not something we talk about a whole lot, and it's not something that really noticeably alters our behavior. It's kind of an internal thing. And secondly, spirituality, as people usually speak of it, doesn't make you uncomfortable. I've never heard of someone speak about how their spirituality uh, confronts them, uh, corrects them, uh, calls them to something that they find confusing or brings them out of their comfort zone because really the whole point of spirituality is that it's supposed to bring comfort, to be encouraging. Spirituality, when people are speaking of it, speak of it as private and comfortable. And that means when you understand what the gospel really is, that is not what Christianity is. Christianity is not religion. It is not about us working our way up to God because we have everything in Christ. But it's also not spirituality. Because if we have everything in Christ, that means in Christ everything must change. If you have everything in Christ, that means everything must change. There is nothing private about the Christian life. There is nothing consistently comfortable about the life we have in Christ Jesus because we are constantly being called out of our comfort, being transformed by Christ. And, and we see that in, in our passage. This morning, verse 17, you could say is in some ways a, a hinge of chapter 3. It summarizes all that we've looked at the last couple of weeks and it really sets the table for what Paul says in the subsequent verses. Verse 17, it says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We just saw baptism a few minutes ago, and as we said, baptism is this symbol, this promise of an identity change. When we are baptized, it is, it is a symbol from God saying that as you place your faith in Christ, you are no longer you. Your name has changed. Your family, your identity has changed. You are now part of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit family. You now are not just you. You are you with Jesus. And so here, when it says, do everything in the name of Jesus, it's saying everything you do now you no longer do as this independent self that's on your own. Everything you do is you with Jesus. Everything you do is shaped by the reality that now you belong to Christ and you are in him. And notice Paul is at great pains to make it clear that when he says everything, he means everything. I mean, he says, literally it begins, everything, whatever you do. And then in case we missed that, he kind of like lists it up. Yes, I'm talking about speaking, all it's talking about acting. And then a third time, in case you've missed it to this point, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Everything. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a Venn diagram where, you know, sometimes you've got like these two circles and you see how much of an overlap there is. If there's one circle that is your life, and there's another circle about what it looks like to be influenced by Jesus. Those two circles are exactly the same. There is no part of your life, no aspect, if you are in Christ, that is not shaped by the reality that you are you with Jesus. 
When you are at the beach on a summer day hanging with your friends, you are called to do that in the name of Christ, being shaped by your identity that you are you with Jesus. When you're waiting in the doctor's office, not sure what the news is going to be from the tests and you're scared, in those moments, in the way that you interact with others, in the way that you receive this news, you're called to do this, not in the way you used to, but as you who are now you with Jesus in his name. When you're washing the dishes, when you're eating a sandwich, when you've received an unpleasant email, when you're stuck in traffic and late for an important appointment, when you're brushing your teeth, whatever, Paul says, do it as the person you now are, the one who is you with Jesus. It is complete. It is comprehensive. Do you see why I'm saying this is different from spirituality? When spirituality is this kind of private, segmented, it's this thing that we have in a small part of our life. But, but the gospel says that is not the way it is. With Jesus, it's everything. There is nothing that's private. It's everything about who you are. There's nothing that's comfortable because it's going to move you in directions you don't always want to go. Everything about who you are now in Christ is shaped by this new identity. And so then Paul immediately, having, having stated this significant idea, moves it to the point of application and he brings it to the most practical place he can bring it, to the home. Because the home is really where who you are is lived out, right? I mean, you and I can be pretty good at being nice and friendly and generous to friends that we see from time to time. But it's in our homes, or sometimes it's in our work, that really who we are comes out and the masks have to come off. And so Paul is saying, when I'm talking about everything, I'm talking about the nitty-gritty details of daily life. And so for the rest of our time, we're going to look, he speaks about three kinds of relationships. And because we have to be a bit more brief because of today, we're not going to be able to go too much in detail about any of them. But what I want you to be recognizing is how this is what he means by everything. There is not a single aspect of your life that is not now shaped by who you are in Christ Jesus. And so that includes marriage. He says in verse, seven, uh, he says, uh, in verse 18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I mean, I said that being in Christ sometimes brings us to uncomfortable places. And for many of us, this passage is one of those uncomfortable places. Now, we should say this passage, or at least especially the letter to Colossians, would have made the Colossians uncomfortable as well. I think the discomfort for them, though, would have been in a a different verse. Uh, You remember we looked at this last week. Verse 11, it says, Here, that is, for those of you who belong to Christ, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, we are all on the same level. You are all, no matter what your status, ethnic, whatever, you are all in Christ, and that is what defines you, which means you are equal. Now, that would have been 
horribly unsettling for many people in that day because for so much of their lives, their identity, their sense of worth was based on who they were in these pecking orders of whether you're free or whatever. And Paul says, nope, none of that is significant in God's eyes in terms of your worth. You're all equal. Now, that verse doesn't make us uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's here, right, where we go, how, how does this work? If, if we are all equal in Christ, if, if in Jesus we are all equally gifted, equally important, then why does it say, wives, submit to your husband? And I think the shortest explanation or answer is that in the way that God made this world, equality does not exclude order. And order does not exclude equality. God made this world in such a way that that, that order is needed. Whenever groups work together, Leadership is almost always required if that task is a significant task. And by leadership, I'm not talking about someone who's dominating, saying, I'm in control, I'm in charge, everyone do what I say. That rarely works well. But in a group where there's one especially who feels a greater degree of accountability or responsibility to see that their commission is successful, that's important. And you know that if you've ever been part of a group that has given a big task and there's no clear leadership, rarely it can work, but most of the time it doesn't, right? Most of the time you have one of two dynamics. Either you have lots of people stepping on each other's toes, trying to control the situation, or you have everyone doing like the stepping back, not wanting to have too much, and no one really owning it, and everyone feeling frustrated. Best, the groups that work best are ones where there's a clear order to it, where someone especially is given the task of accountability and responsibility. And that's how God made things. I mean, we see that in the way that he has appointed the church. In in Hebrews 13, it, it calls church members to submit to their leaders, and it says why? Because they will have to give account for your souls, which is terrifying, by the way, for me. But it says that there are some within the church that have a greater degree of accountability and responsibility for the well-being of the congregation because that's how a group functions well. There's order that's required. And what we see here in this passage is the same thing holds when it comes to marriage. Marriage is a partnership where husband and wife are brought together with a goal of honoring Christ and serving the world around them. And that task, within that task, there is order. Husbands and wives are equally gifted, equally significant, equally important within the kingdom of God. And yet within marriage, God says, I am giving husbands a greater degree of responsibility and accountability for the spiritual and well-being overall of this family and this marriage. Now, we know that this this way that God designed things has become horribly disfigured through sin in, in many, many different ways. But the fact that this has gotten abused and corrupted and misused does not change the fact that when God made it, this is a good way of being. And so when Jesus comes and he redeems us, and now you are you with Jesus, he leads us in our marriages back to the way that God intended things to be. 
as I said, there are any number of ways that, that sin can disfigure the marriage relationship. Here's one that I've seen that's fairly common. It is not uncommon for wives, I think, to be more attuned to the needs of the relationship and especially if there are children to the needs of the family. It is not uncommon because of that awareness for wives to maybe be more aware of the need to sacrifice self, to give themselves for the family. And so because of that sense that they are more aware and they see that the husbands oftentimes seem less aware of what is needed, there can be at times a tendency for wives to more and more take control of the situation. And at times, because of maybe frustration for what they see in their husbands, almost to box their husbands out when it comes to caring for their children. It will be said sometimes, you know, I want my husband to be a leader within this family, but the reality is oftentimes that leadership is as long as he is leading in the way that I would lead if I were the leader. Sometimes. And sometimes sin can disfigure the relationship when it comes to the husband, So that as he is in the marriage, as he's in the role of parenting, he can feel his inadequacy and his own sense of failure. I mean, sometimes you have people who are in really important and powerful roles within work, and then they step into their home life, and they feel the fact that they are not doing well. And they feel the lack of deserving respect. And so in selfishness, the husband sometimes can respond in a kind of sinful fight or flight. It can be sometimes that the husband will then seek to exert their authority, assert control using manipulation or using force, or they can choose avoidance and find themselves pulling further and further away. And you can imagine then what happens when these two sins feed off of each other. As the the husband pulls further away, feeling frustrated and incompetent, the wife more and more feels like the husband cannot be trusted, so the wife more and more exerts control over the situation, which causes the husband more and more to pull back. This is not how God designed things. This This is the brokenness that sin causes. Now, when Jesus comes and says, you are no longer yourself, you are you with me, He invites us to a different way, a way where both husbands and wives surrender selves and are remade in a way that we were called to be. And so we see his calling wives to surrender control of this relationship so that it can be a true partnership. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, let me be absolutely clear. This is not a call to mindless subservience. This is not a call to losing yourself. You know, one of the great tragedies is this verse has been twisted in terrible ways to excuse manipulation and verbal and physical abuse. And that is exactly the opposite of what Paul is talking about here. And let me just say, if, if you ever find yourself in that situation, it is the godly thing to seek help and to call police, because that is not what is being described here. The submission that Paul is speaking is not an aspect of weakness, but it's an expression of strength. It is a choice made in grace, freely to support a husband who oftentimes is not deserving it. 
freely to try to empower the husband to grow into the role of leadership within the family, to show by grace respect, allowing the husband to grow into a role that is deserving that respect. That's what it means when it says, wives, submit to your husbands. And it's not because your husband deserves it. It's because Jesus deserves it. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And similarly, Paul calls husbands to surrender their own self-absorption, their own ego, and lay down their lives, not in a way that is like the natural responses. There's no fight that is allowed. There is no avoidance that is allowed. Instead, what is called, what we are called to as husbands is love. It's interesting to me that there is not a place in the New Testament that talks about how wives should command our, I mean, husbands should command our wives, control our wives, direct our wives, manage our wives. There's nothing there about that. What we are called to is to lay down our lives in love for our wives. And so that means any form of control, of asserting dominance, is utterly excluded. And it also means that avoidance is not allowed because this call to love is a call to initiate. It is a call to pursue whatever it takes to bring about the flourishing of your spouse and to empower her and to enable her to grow into the person that she was created to be. Now, do you see, when in Christ, both of us lay down our self-assertion, where we're no longer who we are on our own, but we are who we are with Jesus, guided by him, how this remakes the way marriage is supposed to be, where, where the wife in grace shows respect and empowers the husband to be something he otherwise could not be. And the husband uses whatever he's been given to lay down his life in love to enable his wife to flourish. And the two are giving of each other. That's the beautiful thing that we are created for. And that is what happens when we are doing marriage in the name of Christ. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, whether you're a husband or a wife, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, because in Jesus, everything changes. And then we see him moving to the next relationship, talking about children and parents. Verse 20, I want you... Please, if you don't have your uh, passage open, just notice this, especially all of you, including kids. Notice verse 20, what it says. Children, obey your parents in everything. Now, don't think, like if you're a kid, this is not me suddenly going, children, pay attention to this because this is what, you, I mean, yes, there's an aspect, but I want you to notice something before that. The Bible is speaking to children right here. Paul, when he is writing to the Colossian church, and he's thinking of who these people are that he wants them to grow, he identifies children as part of the audience. Children, and children, by the way, it's anyone who is still in your parents' home and not yet self-supporting, someone who's not yet married. You need to understand that you, just as much as the adults, belong in this room right now. You are just as important to God. Your spiritual growth is just as important and I just want to tell you, I am grateful that you are willing sometimes to sit through this service, even though I know it's hard for you. Because you are important to us, and who you are, and what God is doing in and through you is something really important. And if sometimes it doesn't feel like that, if you feel like you kind of don't belong, 
That's our mistake and we apologize because that's not the way the Bible sees you as you belong to the church. So Paul speaks to children. And he says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Because like we were talking about before, God created the home with a certain kind of order. And while you're a child, God has given your parents the accountability, the responsibility of of protecting you, of caring for you, and of helping you to grow so that you can become men and women who enjoy life and are honoring God faithfully. And so what this verse is saying is children, do your best to make your parents' jobs easier. Here's a, here's a little tip if you don't realize this, kids. We aren't always very good at our jobs. I mean, we love you more than you can possibly understand, but so often we are, after you go to bed, talking with each other, going, did we do that right? And so we're asking you, knowing that we care for you, knowing that, that we want you to grow, Paul is saying, make make your parents' job easier. Obey your parents. And don't do it just just to please them. Some of you, I know, probably feel like you can never please your parents. Maybe some of you feel like you always are, but that ultimately is not what Paul says is the reason. It's because this is pleasing to the Lord. When you make your bed when you're asked to, when you are nice to your brother or sister, even though they're being really irritating because your parents asked you, I want you to understand you are putting a smile on the Lord Jesus' face. It says you are pleasing. Because this is what it looks like to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. But notice it also speaks to us who are our parents. It says fathers, and I think fathers is meant because fathers are the ones who are ultimately accountable, but I think parents really are involved here. Parents, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And provoke here likely means provoke to anger or provoke to rebellion. Speaking personally, I, I can think of times where when I have some disagreements with my sons that I can become overly focused on winning, on asserting my control, on proving that I am right. And in those situations, the only options that I really give my kids is humiliated surrender or angry rebellion. Now, there are other times, and I wish this were more the case, where I'm able to speak to them as, as equals, not equals in terms of order, but equals in terms of importance, with, with respect and gentleness and love where the way that I speak can make obedience easier because they know that I am on their side and that we're in this together. And that's, that's what Paul is calling us to as we are in Christ, to lay down our egos, to lay down our fear of being in control, and to show that gentleness that comes to us in Christ so that they're not discouraged or provoked, but that they can grow and flourish. This is what it looks like to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, the way that we parent as those who are in Christ, the way that we respond to our parents as those who are in Christ. Because in Christ we have everything, and that means in Christ everything changes. And finally, we have this calling to... Uh, about servants and masters. And, and this is kind of a complicated one. So I want us to notice 
from the outset that the very way that Paul speaks about this is different from the other two. And the very way that Paul speaks about this subverts the very heart of what slavery is about. So we noticed that even last week. He said very explicitly, in Christ there is no slave and master. It's, it's gone. And he reinforces that here when he says, servants, obey your, well here it says earthly masters. Literally, it is masters according to the flesh. That is, masters according to this world, the one that you don't really even fully belong in. But right now, you're still in. In other words, this is not a relationship that has any place in the kingdom of God. This is the relationship that you're stuck in right now. And in fact, he explicitly says, you're not really serving them anymore. It is Jesus that you serve. And then thirdly, do you notice that he also speaks about the promise for the slaves? Know that as you do this, you have a glorious inheritance. In that day, there really was only one major difference between children who lived in a home and servants who lived in a home. Both of them were expected to obey completely. Both of them were expected to work hard for the sake of the home. But one of them, and only one of them, were heirs of the property of their parents. And God is saying, you slaves, you might not be treated as heirs. I want you to understand that in my kingdom, in what really matters, you are heirs. In every way, Paul is saying this relationship isn't the way that it should be, and in the kingdom of God, this relationship doesn't really have a place. But this relationship is where they find themselves. In that day, slavery is so deeply entrenched, there is no easy way to undo it. And especially if you're not in political power, you can't just kind of stop it because many of these slaves were financially dependent upon their masters, and if they were just let go, they would be sentenced to poverty. So they are stuck in a bad situation. So what do you do when you're stuck in a bad and unjust situation? That's what Paul is trying to answer. And Paul is saying, even here, when you are in something that is not right, there is a way that with dignity you can live in the name of Christ Jesus. Servants, Obey your masters according to the flesh and everything. But understand when you're doing this, this is not because they're worthy of it. This is because this is a way that you can bless them and serve your Lord Jesus. Know that when you're doing this, it is not for them. It is not because they deserve it. It's because you belong to Christ. You are in Christ. And as one who is in Christ, who is now royalty in the kingdom of God, you can show kindness to others as a way of pleasing your true master. That's, that's what he is saying here. And even though we don't have a situation quite like that today, some of you I know probably can apply this in very direct ways because some of you are probably stuck in an employment situation that is really frustrating. You are not being treated fairly. You have a boss who is not good or you have clients who are unfair. And maybe you're not even being compensated reasonably, but there is not another option for you right now. Paul is saying even here in an unjust situation, you have a way that you can live in the name of Christ Jesus as one who is you with Jesus. You can choose not to just do the bare minimum. You can choose to give of yourself and to serve with love, not because your earthly masters deserve it, because when you're doing it, you are serving Christ Jesus, and he sees, and he will reward you for what you have done. 
Now, Paul immediately, and this is different from, there's, you have other advice in the secular literature of the time. Rarely do you see masters being addressed in the same way that servants are, but Paul does. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The point is, you and your servants before God are in exactly the same place. And you need to know that if you are in this position of power, you are going to be held accountable for how you treated your servants. Were you giving them justice and fairness? You will have to answer before God himself as to how you treat them. And again, as we think through our own application, some of you are in positions of power. Some of you have people who are working for you, who God has entrusted into your care. And and let me say, Sometimes we can get so focused on the task that we have, on what we are called to do, that we forget the people that are working with us. But oftentimes, how you treat those who are under you is the single most important thing you can do in that day. Because God has entrusted them with your, their, uh, you caring for them. So this, too, you can do in the name of Christ Jesus. Whether you are working for someone unfairly, whether you are entrusted with someone, in our work relationships, this, too, we do in the name of Christ Jesus, because in Christ we have everything. And that means in Christ, everything changes. I don't know if this feels like this has been kind of like this strangely kind of down-to-earth practical talking about the normal stuff. I hope it does, because this is not meant to be a highfalutin spiritual thing, because Christianity is not meant to be highfalutin spiritual stuff. In Jesus, everything about you changes. It is not religion. You're not doing it to work your way up to God. But it's also not this private spirituality. It is supremely practical. Everything, whatever you do, whether it's word or deed, whether it's a husband or a wife, whether it's as a parent or a child, whether it's working for someone or being the one who oversees, whatever you do, do it as one who now belongs to Christ, where you are no longer just you, you are you with Jesus. As is our custom, we try to respond to God's word in a time of prayer and confession. I'd like you to think through what it might look like in a practical way for you this week as you respond to who you are in Christ and how it shapes your relationships. And to talk to God about that and maybe confess, maybe ask for help, and then I'll lead us in prayer in a couple minutes' time. Father, even as we uh, think about our lives, uh, when we especially think of family or work, uh, that is often where we most clearly see our own failings. Lord, I thank you that all that we have done that is wrong is dealt with in Christ. I thank you for the completeness of forgiveness in Christ. Lord, we confess our sin. We confess that we do not yet live the way that we have been created to live. And resting in your forgiveness, we also desire to take hold of the new lives that are offered to us through Christ. 
And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue to renew us. Lord, I pray for our church that you would be renewing our marriages, that you would be renewing relationships between children and parents, that you would be renewing the way that we approach work, both to those above us and to those below us, that in everything who we are in Christ would become central. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the good news of the gospel from Colossians 2, where we're told, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Thanks be to God.